Some of the language in this podcast may not be suitable for all listeners. He was hot with the mugger, you know, because he had on some fine-ass clothes. <laughs> that mugger had on a zip-fly sports shirt and a one-button robe. Had on a pair of two-tone suede and an Adam hat. Had on a Chesterfield top coat with a belt in the back. <laughs> when he walked in the front and started jiving out the back, you know. That's when the baboon jumped up and grabbed him right square in the back. Said, Look out, man. Get your hands off of me. Said, I was only going out there to take a leap. <laughs> he went out there and he'd take a leap. He'd come back in. Whoa, now, sir. I know all you fellas in here think I'm a fool, sir, but I play ain't one of you motherfuckers a game of fool. <laughs> Welcome everyone to the Killing Floor Music Podcast. I'm Adam Smith and I've been documenting the music and landscape of the Deep South for over 20 years now. Each show, I plan to take you on a journey and share the experiences that I experienced while photographing blues legends such as R.L. Burnside and Junior Kimbrough to rock and roll legends and maybe a little country sprinkled in as well. Whether it be through my personal accounts or through the in-depth interviews with the musicians and artists themselves. So sit back, grab a drink, and let's take a trip down south. I'm glad you're here. If I ever can get up off of this old hot killing flow, Lord, I'll never get out this low no more. Mm-hmm. That track you just heard is the legendary Skip James Hard Time Killing Floor Blues. Welcome, everybody, to the Killing Floor Podcast, our maiden voyage. We're glad you're here. And this week, and for the next several weeks, I'm going to be joined by my good friend, Scott Zapardo. Scott, why don't you say hello to everybody and tell them a little bit about yourself. What's up, everybody? Uh, my name is Scott, obviously. I'm one of the owners of Cornelius Chapel Records. I write for several publications, I guess, in uh, print and uh, in internet land, and which is where I guess I met my good buddy Adam here. Yeah, I believe that we met for the first time over the phone for a piece you were doing on yours truly and no depression, right? Yeah, that's right. And I have a face for the phone, coincidentally. So that works out. We already knew that. All right. Thanks, Scott. So I'll tell you just a briefly little bit about myself. I uh, grew up in Macon, Georgia, the home of the Almond Brothers and Capricorn Records and Otis Redding and whatnot. Always been interested in music, but I went to... University of Mississippi Ole Miss for undergrad and learned photography under a teacher named Tom Rankin, who was pretty important in my career as a new budding photographer back then. And I really, he kind of sent me in the direction of the North Mississippi Hill Country blues scene. I didn't know too much about this scene at, at, at first. I discovered one night at, on Sunday night at Junior Kimbrough's juke joint, a very famous juke joint up uh, Highway 7 and down Highway 4 in North Mississippi. And it pretty much changed my life right then and there. That night, uh, juniors, I knew what I wanted to do with my life. 
I think uh, a lot of people go through life and uh, never really experience uh, the come to Jesus moment, as they say. Uh, I was lucky to do that. Sometimes I wish that I hadn't found that all the time because it's not so easy, especially in these COVID times, pigeonholing yourself in a music documentary photography when uh, it has to do with music. We're all kind of hurting now. So that's a little bit about me, kind of a nutshell. After I did blues scene in North Mississippi, I moved back towards Atlanta, and obviously they didn't quite have the scene uh, that I was looking for as they did in Mississippi. So I kind of uh, broadened my horizons and started trying to work with some bands, documenting bands like Drive-By Truckers, a band from Memphis called Lucero, and been into some country singers and players such as Porter Wagner and people like the uh, legendary Marty Stewart. So, yep, that's a little bit about me. As I said, we'll probably get into it at a later episode. So, Scott, you were going to give us just a small background into uh, the legendary R.L. Burnside's uh, career, just for people out there in podcast land who might not be so familiar with him. Take it away, man. The indelible Robert Lee Burnside was born in Oxford, Mississippi in 1926 and called the Hill Country of Mississippi home for mostly his entire life. He learned his blues from his neighbor, the legend and enigmatic Mississippi Fred McDowell, and grew up playing at parties and juke joints after long days of farming and driving a tractor. R.L. didn't garner much attention until the 90s, although his first recordings by the great George Mitchell were captured in the late 60s, and I'm sure there are some that are even earlier than that. Up until the mid-80s, he remained a relative unknown outside of his community. His raw blues were entrancing and addictive in an acoustical or electric setting, be it full band or solo. These were the real down-home, front-porch-type blues, straight from the dilapidated juke joint with not a care for perfection. Honestly, the, the imperfection is the perfection. His open tunings and ghostly slide work were his trademark. He and Pal and also neighbor Junior Kimbrough hit their stride with Fat Possum Records, also out of Oxford, Mississippi, where they both released several LPs and toured extensively worldwide. R.L. put out a record with the John Spencer Blues Explosion titled uh, Ass Pocket of Whiskey, which fittingly blurred the lines between raw blues and garage punk rock. R.L. even landed a song on The Sopranos, I believe it's season three, during an unforgettable chase scene, which is uh, impeccable. He was a notorious storyteller and joke teller and a folklorist in his own right, really. He usually played with a band of various family members, most notably Calvin Jackson on the drums and then Calvin's son Cedric Burnside following up on the drums as well. Gary Burnside on guitar and bass guitar and his adopted white son, the great Kenny Brown, on guitar as well. Burnside's blues were enigmatic yet lo-fi. I mean, he could literally transport you to another time and place with, with just his voice and a hill country boogie. Sadly, Burnside suffered a heart attack in 2004 and passed away at 79 at a hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. His blues live on eternally, and that's just why we're here today. All right, man. Well, Scott, let me give you a little bit of a background here. This was a project I did in college in a photography class. A teacher by the name of Tom Rankin, who was a very influential person in my life as far as my photography career at the University of Mississippi. There was two students that did this with me, and I believe that they were in graduate school at the time. I was an undergrad, and uh, their names were uh, Jay Curtis and Rosalind Wilcox. And Jay's a really good blues musician, played all around Oxford when he was around there. And Rosalind is a hell of an artist, a photographer, and a musician, so she kind of does it all. 
But Tom right. had let me be in this class with them. I, I think he had to do a little finagling. So I don't remember what exactly we were going to do, but, you know, we all had in our heads that we did want to do some a few field recordings and, you know, documenting of blues. And I think we went up to Memphis and did some tent revivals that Rosalind oh, had hooked awesome. us up with. So we did this and granted it, it's from back in 1997 and I kind of tracked it down, got it from Jay and we did, uh, you know, he was out there just doing a little field recording with a DAT machine and it was still on right. DAT tape. And I sent it to one of my friends or got Jay to send it to me and then uh, sent it to one of my friends in Athens and he uh, transcribed it onto a digital file. So honestly, what we're about to listen to has not, has probably been heard by maybe five, six to 10 people total. I mean, and again, this is what, 23 years ago? Yeah, since 1997. Awesome. So to be exact, it was in October. So what we're going to try to do is Scott and I are going to kind of lead you in a little bit on this. We're going to play a little bit of it. And again, this was just at RL's house. We, we all three went out there and I took, I think a six pack of Coors banquet beers (laughs) out there. We just hung out with RL, set up a DAP machine and did a little bit of an interview. It's just kind of an amazing thing. The setup was just out in his backyard or side yard sitting on a, a picnic bench from what I remember. Yeah. So it was pretty special, and I think I was, you know, so into the moment that I wasn't realizing how special it was, but when you find something like this and it's 23 years later, it kind of, uh, you know, it, 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 you don't realize this kind of things when you when you do them, but later on yeah, down the road, yeah. you realize how special Thanks. this is. So um, this first part, what I think we're going to do is, is, is throughout this whole thing, what, I, what Scott and I kind of thought it was 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 pretty special about this is is how raw it was when we found it and and didn't think it needed too terribly much editing which we haven't done any to it and that what you're going to hear is us hanging out in this first part and trying to get our levels right and getting things situated and rl answering phone calls which is pretty damn hilarious he ends up throughout this whole thing you'll hear him just right in the middle just talking and, and he'll just pick up the phone answer a phone call and uh (laughs) <laughs> and start talking right in the middle of talking like only to us. RL can. Exactly. Hey, real quick. Did you know RL? Like how did that all? Yeah, I did know RL. I knew him from my days of going out to juniors. I probably met him at juniors. I don't think that RL and I were on a first name basis or anything. Well, I mean, I was with him, but <laughs> I don't think right, he, right. he'd be like, <laughs> but he definitely knew my face from coming out to juniors and um, documenting out there for the years I had done that. So, yeah, and that's a good question that, you know, we did all know each other. And, and, and as you'll hear, Rosalind actually has um, a little bit of a connection. Her son might be dating like one of RL's daughters or vice versa. I can't remember. Yeah, but we'll jump right into this and, 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 and see what y'all think. Here we go. Yeah. Yeah. Huh? Mm-hmm. This, the, the microphone. Oh, that's the red one of the blues. Well, actually, uh, hanging out like yeah, a dirty shape. Well, yeah, I'm mad. You you gonna have to help uh, Go Kenny? Can you turn up? Can you get enough gain? Yeah. Yeah, you're just saying we're gonna come down. I don't know what it is. Now we just say we're coming down. Yeah, actually, even right here is probably good enough. Yeah. Uh huh. 
Cause I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to get ready and go up there about 15 to 6 or something. And because he said he wanted to start about 6, you know. You know. Gonna have a couple of But you you may even get up there and have you play with the kids, you know. You can get up there and jam a couple of songs with if you want. Uh, to make it look good. Yeah, uh, I know that. Uh, 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 Wayne and Gabe are supposed to get here tonight, but I don't know whether they're going to get time to play or not. Yeah, I called the devil post this morning. They said they had done left. And they'd be here tonight, but I don't know what time they're going to make it. Right away, overexposure a little bit. I think it should be. said about 10 o'clock. Uh huh. Yeah, they might get here a little later. Y'all excuse my yard for being so clean, you know. All right, yeah, we done interview here now. <laughs> okay, how about I get in about 30 minutes if we, if we can't find nobody? Okay, bye-bye. What'd you think, Scott? We, hey, uh, hanging out like a dirty shirt, the uh, greatest thing ever. True, The, I, the true. guy's just full of uh, one-liners. He's always been... To me, or when I'm around him, he's a he's a real entertainer. He's really uh always has some great one-liners and is just uh, always seems to be in that mood to make people laugh and to entertain. Yeah, even entertaining well, being on the telephone with somebody else, but entertaining you know those in in uh, in direct company. It's pretty cool. So exactly. what I gathered from it, he so he's talking to somebody on the phone about a show tonight. Uh, that night at around 10 p.m. I gathered and I, I definitely took in. Kenny Brown's name and Junior Kimbrough, except nobody could find anybody and they're all looking for each other. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I think Gary was coming in. I think Gary was coming in off a, a, so a trip. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> coming in off the trip. And we're, again, we're just sitting, kind of set the scene. We're sitting uh, in RL's side yard. He had kind of a ranch style brick house up in Chulahoma, Mississippi. So yeah, we're just uh, rolling right, right along. You know, it, it is pretty special on things like that is just to have even even a phone call of like like that of hanging out with a legend you know it's, it's so entertaining to listen to so like was he was he kind of anticipating oh yeah these these folks are coming by did you just stop by out of the blue like, i can't out? remember it totally but i i feel like i i called out there and spoke to maybe alice may his wife and kind of sure. set it up and told him, you know, ask him if he was going to be around. And I, I can't remember. I might have gotten on the phone with him. Cool. I went back out there when I ended up, you know, working with Annie Leibovitz on her book, American Music. And, and we went out there and I had to set all that back up. So it's hard to remember like how, you know, back then, because I mean, they, we didn't have, with their cell, there weren't cell phones then in 97. Yeah. I mean, I pager. didn't have no, one. Was, I didn't have one. That was that was the heat of the pager movement. Man. Yeah. And actually, is <laughs> a funny thing you bring that up because a, a thing I wanted to add to this is people can go to my website and there's going to be a special page called Killing Floor Podcast, but you will be able to check out more, you know, information on the podcast and from that day we have out there like my photography I'm going to pick out from each po- podcast. Uh, images from say this shoot of hanging out with RL to where you can go and kind of get more of a feel of uh, what was going on out there while we were recording. And, and to throw my little uh, bit in there, I actually, ironically enough, am looking at a print that Adam sent me years ago uh, when I, I interviewed him, I think for uh, no depression or something. And it's 
of RL sitting on a picnic table from this very night. Nice. Is, kind of is that the is that the Burnside down. style image? Yeah. Yeah, that was see, uh, um, that's funny, you know. And again, you can see this image on uh, my website, which is just adamsmithphotography.com. But um, I remember that image, and it's actually one of my favorite images I've ever taken. But it, it was, you're right, it was from this day. And if you look, he's got kind of his one of his legs, from what I remember, he's got one of his legs kind of haunched up on, a, on the table, and then one kind of hanging down, and he, there's a cat rubbing up against him. Yeah. And then he has yeah, a the cat, cat, and then he has part. a cat on his uh, shirt as well while he's looking into yeah. the camera. So, and then coincidentally, you can see the record. Like, I think it's bottom left. You can see the record. You know, the actual. Tape oh yeah, using yeah. Tape this exactly. And the headphone Good point. Yeah, Good it's pretty point. rad. Yeah. yeah. Cool, stuff, man. man. Well, let's um, let's move on along and uh, move into this next segment. My old lady went up there when we was out on that tour. You know, yeah, she yeah. met it in. She told me, "Yeah, I said." Uh, Kevin told me Kevin was dating a girl like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Said, yeah. <laughs> said, she's really nice. She's coming over there. And... Yeah, that's my sister. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, sitting around. What are you doing? Weird, weird, weird. Huh? Just got back to Memphis. She's so cute. Huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, you went to take you. you just getting back? Well, no, he ain't riding. He's not to the store. Where you at now? At Linda's. Oh, yeah. Well, now, he's he down there at the store. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, you, you got some gold, ain't you? <laughs> I just thought you were going to let me hold a bunch. <laughs> That's bad, ain't it? Yeah. All right. Okay. You got the number to store in. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah, that's, that's bad, ain't it? The guy, he done, my son, he done got back to Memphis. And Who's that? Melvin. Melvin. He wants somebody to pick him up on the, my deck. He's been in Texas, you know, he's a yeah. bail bound my bounty hunter. Oh, really? You know, he said, I don't see if I can get Dexter out. I, I know I get my daughter, she can't wait and pick me up, but I don't want her to come pick up who I got with me. I don't want her to see it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Don't want mama to know about it or what? Don't want mama to know about you it. Who he got there? See, his daughter got a daughter live that movie. Mm-hmm. You know she come over there and keep bring him Run on down your home. See. Yeah. But he don't want her to bring him because she don't, he don't want her to see who's with him. Mm-hmm. Play it. Play it. Uh, <laughs> Coco Taylor was about right. How old is Melvin? How old is he? Oh. Uh, Forty-four. He's forty-four. Yeah. Cause Calvin's what about forty? Uh, thirty-seven. Thirty-seven. Mm-hmm. Thirty-seven. Yeah. Yeah. Coco Taylor was about right on that song she sang, wasn't it? What she say? Said, "Don't never trust a man." <laughs> 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 oh, you can trust some of us. <laughs> I heard it. The version of "Never Trust a Woman." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I heard that same thing. No, I, I, just, I ain't heard that. I, I missed a part of Coco's, you know, but I cut it off. We cut it off. And, Start get out, yeah. and I was just sitting there the other night, and they was playing, and they said the mother told her, "Don't never trust a man." But she was too young to realize then, and she didn't know understand. It's <laughs> talking to to one of the, the original cooks of a blind James, yeah. and she says, uh, she said, uh, she said, "Don't never trust. I don't trust no man." And I said, "Well, I don't know. You know, the women are pretty bad too." She says, "Well, I don't trust no woman either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't trust any of them." <laughs> yeah, cause you know if you sing that song by the rock. Uh, 
It was the toe. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. She's saying that we got to take that with her and that thing and that too. Said, yeah, her love life would be through. Oh, she guilty. <laughs> How about you? <laughs> then she's so glad the thing don't talk. I love Coco <laughs> Yeah, she's good. I love her. Yeah, we played at her place twice and played at Buddy Guys three times. My girlfriend mm. used to live right down the street, right yeah. down the street from Coco Taylor. As a matter of fact, one of the pictures I left you was me and Jeff rehearsing, and that's right down the street in the basement from Coco Taylor yeah. for her clubbing. Yeah, over I got. Rush I got two yeah. sisters that live over there on the west side of Chicago. I got one live there on uh, 33rd and Cottage Grove. Oh, that's not. That's not. That's that's right in the hood. Mm -hmm. I grew up on 57 in Wabash. Yeah. Yeah, that's where we grew up. So again, right there, man. Uh, some of that was pretty awesome. And again, we got a second phone call. You know, right now you can almost kind of figure out like how how just approachable he was. I mean, you know, he 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 was nice. He was funny. He was glad you were there. Yeah. yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. You kind of get the feeling like he takes you in, just like never know. That's the first time you've ever been there. It sounds like you know it's just like a you know an average Saturday, just hanging out under the shade tree, you exactly. Know, a couple beers, whatever. And we know? need to actually look it up because he does get those phone calls about playing that night in ten. What is that? October four ninety seven. Fourth. We need to figure yeah. out what uh what day that was. Now I I would imagine it it might have been a Sunday. You know, if that, he could have been talking about going over to Junior's. I've got to look to see if Junior's had burned down by then, which nice, I, yeah. I don't think it had. Something that caught my attention on that as well is just being out there and, you know, the recording, the ambient sound. I mean, of that, those 18-wheelers going by, and then you can almost yeah. hear, like, crickets in the backyard Cicada. and stuff like yeah. that. And uh, that's kind of kind of cool to me. So that, I was thinking that was Gary on the phone at first, but then, if you you know as you listen on obviously you get to uh he says it was his son melvin on the phone they were talking about davenport yeah was that you in the back talking to a child is somebody like no i think that was child? uh jay kurgis he was there oh, and that's okay. Rosalind, like i had mentioned earlier her talking to rl and, and he's talking about calvin jackson which is uh, that's cedric's yeah. father cedric burnside's yep. father and everybody knows the, best the drummers uh, of all time. Yeah, everybody knows the famous Cedric Burnside, who's on Single Lock Records right now recording. But I met and got to know Cedric over the years out at Juniors, and we got to be pretty decent friends. And uh, we still do projects on and off now. And, and it's amazing to see Cedric, who played for RL, doing yeah. so well. Grammy. Now. So it's it's it got a little up for a Grammy last year. Yeah, it's got a little um uh, a little circle almost. You know, you start hearing people talk about this and then you can kind of moves into uh, other people you know yeah. so Calvin Jackson was a drummer that's Cedric's father and that's who they're talking about there and uh, I worked with Calvin you know I used to hang out with him out at and see him play out at juniors and stuff again junior Kimbrose is a uh, one of the most famous juke joints in Hill North Hill Country Mississippi that burned down way back when but and it was a real shame but that's where I kind of found my calling out there but we're we're going to go into that in a different episode that's going to be kind of all centered around junior so yeah cool so that's kind of what that is you want to move on along scott i want some of that gold he's talking about that I, want. <laughs> I need some gold too let me hold a little gold <laughs> yeah everybody needs a little gold <laughs> all right there's not many of them down on on tape um you have a lot of of stories, rounded stories, like the one about the monkey, the monkey in the baboon playing pool, and we'll, those uh, stories like that. You, you want to tell us one of those? Yeah, well, you know what they said. You know, said uh, didn't nobody like the monkey. 
Because he wore fine clothes, you know, saying a 48 Cadillac was the car he drove, which that was in 48, you know. <laughs> down in the jungle, somewhere down in the sticks, the elephant ran a pool room down there, but the baboon, he was a slick. <laughs> so early one morning, that elephant room up them pool room doors, up drove that mugger from the coconut grove. <laughs> that elephant looked out at him and snarled up his nose. He was hot with the mugger, you know, because he had on some fine-ass clothes. <laughs> That mugger had on a zip fly sports shirt and a one button robe. Had on a pair of two tone suede and an Adam hat. Had on a Chesterfield top coat with a belt in the back. <laughs> when he walked in the front and started jiving out the back, you know. That's when the bathroom jumped up and grabbed him right square in the back. He said, Look out, man, get your hands off of me. I, said, I was only going out there to take a leak. <laughs> he went out there and he'd take a leak. He'd come back in. Whoa, now, sir, I know all you fellas in here think I'm a fool, sir, but I play ain't one of you motherfuckers a game of fool. <laughs> That's what the babble wanted to hear, because he hustling, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so they racked the ball, and they racked him quick, and the monkey wretched ruffled up in the rack and grabbed him a stick. <laughs> the babble was over at the wall getting them little dust, and the first thing the monkey did is beat the motherfucker to the bus. <laughs> 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 Crack of the ball sounded like a 45, and that brought skull and water from that baboon's eyes. Now, on the break, this monkey made the one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. Then he wanked it out of the house, man, to watch the game. I got to go take a leak. <laughs> when he went out door to take a leak, that's when they had to look at that bad with them hustler's eyes, you know. Letting him know then there was no money in the game he could afford to let slide. The monkey came back in the six pockets. You have six pockets on the pool table, is that right? Mm -hmm. He run the four, five, six, seven, eight, and nine. All in different pockets at the same damn time. Mm. Now the lead ball was hid over behind the tin. He said, I'm going to use high tar things and keep both of these motherfuckers in. <laughs> Shot the 13 up the corner and the 14 down the side, stoked the stick and winked both of his eyes. <laughs> That's when that baboon jumped up. God to mighty damn. <laughs> Say, you know I'm hot? See, that monkey out now, he even had a shot. He said, yeah, you been running around here with your nose all snotty. If you didn't know what you was doing, you should have been asked somebody. <laughs> <laughs> so you could have asked your Uncle Zeke that lived over there across that creek. So I cooned him once for a solid week. <laughs> so I got Pat the Deuces and I switched out on Jackson Queen. So that awful motherfucker switch your Uncle Zeke had ever seen. Where <laughs> <laughs> you hear the story? <laughs> But that was way back years ago when all them animals got together and had that party down at the house of Buzzy Coon, you know. <laughs> Going out to where mama at? Who was mama at? <laughs> now the little monkey, he was most delighted. He was a hot motherfucker because he wasn't invited, you know. Well, at that night, late that night, he looked up on the wall and his clock was about half past nine. He said, I know goddamn well it's party time. He jumped up out of the bed, put his shoes on the wrong feet, and his hat crossed his head, and reached up over the door and got that 44, <laughs> and started walking down the street, you know. While he was walking down the street, he was walking slow. He kicked the elephant's ass and dared allow on the road. <laughs> then he went on down to this building where he was having this party at, and he made a loud knock on the door. Say, <laughs> you mammy fuckers. In there drinking your goddamn toddy. 
said, if you don't give me some of that shit, then I'm going to break up the motherfucking party. <laughs> That's when the loun jumped up, you know. But listen to that little squid out there talking shit and couldn't mean a thing. You trying to bullshit the public and know damn well I'm the king. <laughs> but they opened the door and they opened it wide and a little bad mugger stepped inside. Throw the queen of diamonds on the table and four diamonds on the floor and cut the lights out with his 44. Oh, Lord. At <laughs> that time, one of them pimps got the lights back on, he done jumped up on the counter and throwed back his vest and said, Every motherfucker in here is on the rest. He the cop, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was in the back then with my head in the paper sack. But I was sturdy telling Nelly to keep her belly. Close to mine. <laughs> yeah, and there's a lot of people when I'm playing, I'm real, are you, you, you black blues? I say, yeah. You, you, how you know when they got the blues? I say, you pull up to your dry house one night and get out of your car, start in the house and you meet your cat. She ain't here. She ain't here. I said, you got the blues then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, woman done left you and the cat there by herself. She trying to tell you, you know. She ain't here. She ain't here. <laughs> That's good. Where do you get all this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the boy right down the road here the other day, him and his wife got on the bed to him, got mm -hmm. the argument. He told her to get out, you know. Mm -hmm. You're going to have to get out of him. He got two coon dogs there. She was getting her clothes. God damn it, she gonna have to get out of here. When she when, when she heard her say that, she got her clothes and got to the door. And two coon dogs running around the house. You know, who 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 gonna cook? Who gonna cook? <laughs> <laughs> she said, "Come on back. That's all right, baby. You ain't got to go." <laughs> well, I'm lying, <laughs> who who gonna cook? I mean, I'm wondering, I'm wondering how long, how many generations that story has been passed down. You got to have told it a shitload of times to yeah. uh, remember yeah. the whole thing. But he's just got and them all, he's just rifling them off, and then you get two or three right after that, some short ones. And I could be mistaken, but I, I don't think he has many stories down on, on recording. George Mitchell could have done some, I guess, but... Not the sure. only ones I've ever heard are on uh, Burnside on Burnside when when the, the, you know that live record from uh, yeah. Portland. Yeah, yeah, he tells two of them on that. I well, think, it's interesting. So that's the only that, one I know. Of. It's, a good, it's a good segue that you just mentioned that album because I did the artwork on the back of it. That's my photograph. You did? Out. Yeah. Huh, no shit. So, but I, I, you know, it is, and again, you get you, you hear that ambient sound, trucks going by, and us just hanging out, you know, and RL's yeah, just, and the dogs, just there and the entertaining. So, I mean, again, this this amazing stories, amazing entertainer, such a nice guy, so approachable. It's always seemed to have been in just in a in a damn good mood, you know. It was it was pretty amazing. Yeah, gives you like a grandfatherly like feeling, like and you know. It, if you were lucky enough to have a grandfather who's like hilarious, you know, just, I don't know. That's yeah. what it brings up for me, yeah. you know, just yeah. that warm, fuzzy, man, just to be a fly on the wall and yeah. to take it back to 97, man. It's, it's, it's uh, refreshing. And it's Again, that just reminds me of something I've, I've heard several interviews with Cedric and I actually did an interview. I was uh, lucky enough to get asked to do um, an interview about my, one of my upcoming photography shows here in Atlanta and I got to be on an NPR show and they interviewed uh, Cedric and I, you know, I think she oh, yeah. had uh, the host had asked about 
RL and, and, and I remember Cedric kind of just always, and he always says this. He, he was like, he, he would always get, would give you the shirt off his back. That's just kind of way uh, RL was. So That's awesome. well, cool. Let's, uh, let's move on along and give these folks a little bit more of a good taste of what I had recorded that day. I think we're yeah. going to get a little bit of, uh, some RL playing in this next snippet. So y'all hang in there. I hope you're enjoying yourself. We're glad you're here. Can't play much, but I was trying one. <laughs> you like open the right? Yeah. I'm playing both of them. Better watch your camera and I have a break if you take too many of me. I'm gonna try. I've never had a problem with that. <laughs> yeah, don't, you ain't broke yet? Uh-uh. <laughs> lucky then, ain't he? Calvin, your son is so cute, you know. He's good looking. I see where it gets it from, that Yeah. <laughs> Did you put all that on there? Yeah. Huh? Uh, no, I don't think he is right down. Excuse me. Yeah, we're supposed to start at 6 o'clock. Who is it? Oh, yeah. Uh, I think he's going to the store somewhere right now. But as soon as he come back, I tell him you call. Yeah, we're supposed to start up at 6 o'clock. All right. Bye-bye. Could I go ride the blind? Say, no, nobody train ain't, ain't none of mine.
Oh, I have dog. Won't ride the blind. Been mistreated, I don't mind that. Hey, um, so what specifics do you remember, like, of that specific moment? And, like, you know, when we're hearing it, does it kind of throw you back? Yeah, you know, like, what, just, do you remember anything specific about it? Honestly, what first comes to mind is how blown away I am about the recording now and how much it means to me. But I don't know if yeah. I was in the moment when I was out in RL and I had seen him and hung out with RL a lot and it was just almost um, taking him for granted. You know, I knew it was cool of what we were doing, and I knew it was special, but in the moment, I don't think the gravity of, of what it actually was that we were doing uh, really hit me. And that's yeah, uh, not what I knew. But, I mean, obviously, I knew and respected and loved his music and Junior's music and all those guys that I've met down oh. through the years uh, enough to you know want to do stuff like this and to find out more about them and hang out with them and further their career preserve the way them. I could. and Yeah, preserve Yeah. Them sense how special it was and you look back on it now obviously rl's passed away and these are you know some images that that kind of keep his soul intact and, and and people remember him i'm gonna put a bunch of these images from that day and and how many phone calls he had i actually have some images of him on his i guess you would call that a portable phone these days it was a cool thing to be able to do and amazing to be able to find this piece and kind of resurrect it in a sense and and try to use it for something good that people could enjoy you know it didn't do, didn't do any good sitting and collecting dust i don't know and here we are so yeah, thanks for doing exactly. that exactly so we're try, we're doing our best <laughs> and we we hope you like what you're listening to and if you do whatever platform you listen to this on go and leave us five stars it helps other people learn about this and say what you want to uh negative in the in the show note leave five stars people shit we'll settle for three yeah exactly <laughs> all right let's move on to this next little segment because i didn't think when i first started you know i was gonna never be popular enough to be up there and be known i was playing around with these house parties and mm-hmm. I'd go down to Fred McDowell's house on Sunday, we'd play him, he'd play as far as he wanted me to play with him, you know, he'd play a while and I'd play a while. And uh, I went up to Chicago for three years and Muddy Water was married to a first cousin of mine, down to me. And I'd go over to his house about every other night and watch him play, you know, and sit there and practice with him and got where I could do it pretty good, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but like I said, I'd been playing around the house for a couple of years before I got out in the public and, and my wife and I'd been trying to play guitar her and her sister, we we live in this little piece from her mother's house and I'd, her, her brother could play a guitar a little bit, you know, and he got married and gave me his guitar and I'd pick up the guitar and go trying to play it and they go to laughing, you know. So I got where I'd wait till uh, they leave, she go to her mama, then I'd get the guitar, you know, and practice on it there. And, uh, one night about, oh, about a year and a half later, I done got pretty good then on it, but she didn't know it, see. And we was off with a, at a picnic while Fred McDowell was playing, and he done played about an hour. Hey, I real. You want to play some? 
said, yeah. My old lady, you gonna make a fool out of yourself right in your phone with all these people here. <laughs> what, <laughs> what year was this? What year, what year we talking about? It had it back in, in the 60s. 60s, okay. Uh-huh. You gonna make a fool out of here in front of all these folks here. You know you can't play no guitar. She hadn't heard me, but I'd been playing pretty good for six, eight months, you know, but they was laughing at me and make fun of me when I started playing, so I quit playing around them. You know, I was playing, starting to learn stuff behind Muddy Water and John Lee Hooker, like Booger Children was just out then, you know, and I could play that. And I started off playing that, and people back in the other room running in there, who in the hell is that playing that guitar now? <laughs> For about two months, Red wouldn't let me play while he's playing it. No, no, don't you, don't you come with your bunch of You're going to took my party. You want, they want me to play that. Oh, no. could, you, could you do a little bit of Booger Children? Yeah. Right. That was pretty amazing hearing R.L. kind of trace back, you know, growing up with those guys and, and with Fred McDowell and uh, Muddy Waters. And, and it's almost reminded me when I first heard this portion of this recording, Scott, is that uh, it, it almost like as a small semblance, the folklore of uh, Robert Johnson, how he sucked at playing and nobody wanted to hear him. And then he came back and was yeah. really good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's very interesting. It's almost like his... It's his honest to God bio he's given right there, and and you know you mentioned Fred McDowell, whom he has always said that he learned his style from. I think him and uh, Rainy Burnett was another. Yep, Rainy um, Burnett. And then yeah, and then uh, he mentions uh, one of his family members uh, was married to Muddy Muddy Waters at some point. Who and then you hear some John Lee Hooker mention of uh, that's when Boogie Children Boogie Children came out, and that was a big record at the time. So yep. all these things made this ball of fire of uh, RL. Yeah, crazy, exactly. And then, of course, we think we're... To catch it, him telling you that. Then we think we, he's about to go into a, a acoustic ver- version of Boogie Chillin', but we got a, another phone call <laughs> where he, <laughs> he stops and, and, uh, and somebody else probably, if I have to guess, and if I remember correctly, is somebody that he's about to tell 6 o'clock that they're playing. One of our producers here actually looked up October 4th, 1997, and it was a Saturday night. So I would guess that. Nice. Um, and Junior's usually was only open for most nights mm-hmm. that we would go out there on Sunday night. So this could have been a completely different, maybe like a little hill country picnic or something like that. Sure. Uh, that night. I don't really remember when it was. I, I, I actually, now that I'm talking about it, it kind of comes back to me. I think we might have gone uh, down the street a couple of miles or two and and it was like a little small public park, and they had a stage there. And I'm actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'd have to look through back through my negatives. But I think I have that that party right. and that uh, that night documented. Do you remember who showed up? So was it Kenny? Um, was Kenny it Brown. I, I remember Dwayne was there. Dwayne Burnside. Who was um, on drums? Cedric might have been. I, I can't remember. You know, sometimes they they would all kind of switch out whoever was sure felt enough. like playing right then. But if I yeah. remember correctly, I think Oath Turner was there too. Oh, legend, nice. The legendary awesome. uh, fife and drum player. 
from Como, Mississippi. He was a he was a character in himself. I I got a couple of good stories about him, but maybe that's for another podcast. So we'll just let it go rolling on here, and and this is going to be you know another phone call and a little bit of maybe a little bit more boogie chilling, or maybe might even go into I believe a little bit of shake them on down, but. Why don't we just nice. sit back and enjoy this, and we'll come back in and uh, make a few comments. Bring on the boogie. So, uh, I'm calling the house. I'm sitting here on the porch. All right. Uh, what's calling good? Let's call you. Uh, Mabel's daughter. I uh, think so. She said somebody said she wanted to talk with you about what time you play. You know that night. Where you at now? The Caroline store. We're supposed to start at 6 o'clock. Yeah. Yeah, it's supposed to be Junior and Kenny. But see, they can't do Kenny can't do anything. He got to play with him. Uh, We're going to have to help a bunch of them, I'm mad, you know. Yeah. Well, if you do this, you can be a little bit later because it's uh, 5.25, not 20.20. 20. I don't know if you can make it in the back by six. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, I'll be up there waiting on you when you come back. All right. I'm okay. What, what day? What was Kenny's brown number? Two seven six. Shut up. Shut up. Right in the butt. Boy, they got enough trees to take enough switches off. Yeah. Yeah, they told me that. What's the what's all over you? Okay. Okay. All right. I believe he must have told you he needed 11 nickels then, didn't he? Who's that? Him. He needed 11 nickels for what? He needed 11 nickels. I'm hungry. I got to have 11 nickels. 11 nickels? Say, man, if you don't get out of my face, I kick your ass all over this place. <laughs> <laughs> they keep cracking jokes about my butt. Now, monkey man. <laughs> if you ever say something to me about eleven niggas again, I'm gonna kick dust from your ass like Lent from a jean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to remember that one. Here. I gotta write That's this on stuff. that. That CD I got in the ass pocket of whiskey. Oh, uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just got that new one. Uh, the well, it's a re-release. Mr. Wizard. The no, the uh, the acoustic blues. Oh yeah. It's a re-release of European. We got the dog and the cat and you now. <laughs> Get over here, y'all. Get over here. Come over here. Cat and <laughs> Y'all, oh, what's going on? Huh? I'm on the phone. You ain't got no ride at all. You, you, you at home? No, no, well, we'll try to be better than about another 25 minutes. Telephone man. Yeah, I like that. Telephone, telephone man. man. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> all right. Let's just be looking for stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's take off. Oh, no, she's not home. Yeah. How do you do that, uh, that, uh, shake them on down? (laughs) 
That would be goddamn, but it didn't get wet. Yo. Yeah. Hello? Hello? <laughs> Who was this? Just let's hold back a ring. They ain't saying nothing now. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, there you go. <laughs> Let it ring twice. <laughs> Yellow. Uh, is she gonna go? All right. Well, tell her I, I can let her ride in the trunk. <laughs> Put her on the phone. <laughs> hey, now you you doing all right, honey? I, I put me up. I'm done pretty good. I put a piece of carpet in the trunk where you can get me now. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. That's scary. I'll be yelling, are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? Got back, we done shook them down twice. Hey, don't stop hollering. Well, well, well. 
cooking with Jane. You get a little bit of shake them on down and stop hollering. Yeah, yeah. You get, of course, a couple more phone calls. I think everybody in damn Chulahoma, Mississippi, knows that that damn thing starts at six o'clock today. That's <laughs> <laughs> the guys that need to be there to play. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, that's not kind of how it was at, at, at juniors, and it's a good point to bring up and and this party that they were going to uh, that night. Now that I'm remembering it, it's kind of like. Everybody kind of showed up and helped each other out, whoever needed to play drums and whoever needed to play bass and and, and, and whatever. So, I mean, you heard Junior was going to be there, and you heard his son, Kenny Kimbrough, who plays drums with Junior, and um, and then Kenny Brown was going to be there. It really was kind of like a family thing between the Kimbroughs and the Burnsides of putting on those shows and picnics for everybody on a Saturday and then a Sunday night at Junior's. You know, it was an amazing time to be around, an amazing time trying to document stuff like this and and uh it was something that was near and dear to my heart that's for sure what are your thoughts was joe Ayers around for was he playing with them at this um i think he was probably around i don't remember a whole lot of seeing him around i I don't know how much he hung around juniors though i could be mistaken about that but um you know it's a lot of times when you get into juniors on a sunday night or whatever that place was fucking packed hot sweaty packed people drinking corn whiskey and cold Budweiser's. So uh, that was the <laughs> life on a Sunday night. And it was about 30 minutes outside of uh, Oxford, north of Oxford, I guess That's you awesome. would say, up in uh, on Highway 7. Yeah, man. So that was just pretty, a pretty amazing little piece right there. I think we're going around about this last bit of this recording. This is about a 45-minute recording. I think we're going to, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're about to hear a little bit of uh, RL talking about what's it like uh, him going over to Europe and and, and getting uh, big over there. And again, you know, I think RL's career kind of started taking off and, and him getting more known when he signed the deal with uh, Matthew Johnson and Bruce Watson over there at uh, Fat Possum Records, who ended up going on and putting out most of his albums uh, in the latter part of his life. But I think that that's when uh, he started touring and going overseas. Good friend of mine, Amos Harvey, is his tour manager who worked for Fat Possum and got to take him on several trips. We might be able to get Amos on, on the podcast at some point and tell us a couple of back stories or something like that. And the great sweet dog. Jeez, what a character. <laughs> I'm in the uh, caravan, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly. I'm sure we can get him on too. Yep, yep. All right, let's go into this thing. Yeah, we I went to we did that Red Car Blues Festival in London, England. You know, I was him over with the Blue Bird Booking Company was booking me in. You know, we played there in Holland that night. And we had to go do the Blues Festival, and the Red Car Blues Festival. We she drove us over there, and uh, she had a Mercedes station wagon. We drove up, got on the bar, and we was on that for about some hour and a half. And we, when we come off, I'd been drinking pretty good, and we got in the car, got in the car. I went to sleep as soon as we pulled off the guard, you know. And I woke up there after a while, and I still hear them cars shooting by me over here. I said, hey, God damn it, did you sleep? What's the matter with you? He said, oh, I told you they drive on the left side over here. <laughs> <laughs> I never got about you told oh, me that. Yeah, that looked funny driving on yeah. the left hand side road, uh-huh. car passing you on the passenger yeah. side. Yeah. I said, oh, yeah, yeah. I said, take me some years to get used yeah. to this, yeah. It took me mm. a long time. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah. They just, People haul ass over there. Yeah. Man, yeah, they, they, that's what I've heard. They, 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 just, they don't mess around. Uh-uh. 80, 90, 100 miles. Yeah, if I asked the guy what, what, what we were riding with over there, 
we we'd done another show after the festival. We'd done out another little small down riding in a van out there, and, you know. Thanks to my What is the speed limit here? He didn't know what I was talking about. Him, him, him was there. Yeah, sir. He he come out. She spoke in Dutch. She was Dutch. I mean, she spoke and told him. Oh yeah. No, no, no speed limit. Just run what your car runs. It don't matter. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. That was kind of the end of the recording. It came to the, to a head, but it was pretty damn cool about RL. And I've always thought this too about hearing him talk about the reaction overseas of blues. And I, I, I do agree with him. And especially during that time when I was doing this kind of thing, uh, blues somewhat is uh, taken for granted here in the u.s but overseas people absolutely. go absolutely ape shit over it and especially with somebody like rl absolutely you know uh it, it it warms my heart to know that he was getting down to genuine there in the background i was i was, <laughs> I was into that yeah that's a little bit more ambient sound a guy comes up to pick rl up next show or either uh you know comes to meet him and is uh jamming the local radio station back in the back yeah. but and we, there's a good uh some good ambient sound of the clicking of your camera going off there too. Yep. Yep. Again, you know, just snapping shots. I, I, I've got sleeves and sleeves of negatives from that day and that evening. So again, we're going to really? post that over, uh, over on Adam Smith photography.com website. And, uh, you'll be able to find out a little bit more information and see kind of behind the scenes shit, man. I feel oh, like yeah. this is a pretty, a pretty cool, uh, start to our podcast. And I think Scott and I's next plan is we're going to, come back with episode two of R.L. Burnside. In that episode, Scott, I also had another recording from um, a live show of R.L. doing acoustic numbers at a bar I used to work at in Oxford that's now gone downhill and and went out of business. And it was called Blind Gems, which I know a lot of people will will remember. Uh, It was upstairs uh, right across, actually, the other porch of uh, right across from... uh, City Grocery on the Square. What I had done there is I had hosted a radio show called the Blind Gems uh, radio show there, and it was a live radio show that went was broadcast out from the bar. Dick Waterman, the famous photographer and manager of Buddy Guy, and you said date uh, Bonnie Raitt and stuff. He joins me, and he's a uh, big time blues guy. Sun he's got a Sun House, rediscovered Sun, Sun House. House. And uh, a lawyer in town, Tom Freeland, who has passed away now, who is a big blues scholar, uh, was in really good with all these guys, a really nice guy. But they host the show with me, and we're going to try to do that in episode two. And then I think we're going to move along and uh, go into some Junior Kimbrough and talk about where I actually discovered all this for the first time. So we've got a lot in store for you, folks. We're, we're, we're glad you're here with us. We hope you got a nice uh, cold drink, and we hope that you have uh, enjoyed our first episode. And we will see you soon, and please spread the word and let us know if you like it. See my jumper, Lord, hang out on the line. You can reach either of us at killingfloormusic at gmail.com. Shoot us an email. We'd love to hear what you think about the show and your comments on how we could approve it. And just to say hi, we'd love to hear from you. Again, that's killingfloormusic 
at gmail.com. The Killing Floor Music Podcast is sponsored by Adam Smith Photography. For more information, visit adamsmithphotography.com. Written, directed, and produced by myself, Adam Smith. Assistant producer, Katie Holland-Smith. Special guest, Mr. Scott Zapardo. With special thanks going out to Jay Kurgis and Rosalind Wilcox. All music by R.L. Burnside, unless otherwise noted. And another special thanks to Dialback Sound Studios in Water Valley, Mississippi. Thank you. We're out. Don't go to my head. Bye.